0: Hello everyone, it's Friday the 2nd of December, nearly Christmas, would you believe, and welcome to episode 132 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Yeah, Christmas is around the corner now.
1: But today on the show, we are talking about the future of milk prices in the context of a changing global and market situation. So in short, how does the break-even milk price take into account the investment required to comply with future environmental regulations, such as the Clean Air Act, and the need to fulfil food security aspirations. Have the rules of the game changed? And if yes, what does this mean for future prices? So to discuss this and share some exciting news about the kite business later in the show, we are joined by Kite's very own Jebwood duo, John Allen and Edward Lott. Uh, We also have our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite with us, Becky Leach. And as always, we're joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week?
2: Well, I'm glad you've got some exciting news, Jedward. I'm looking forward to hearing more of that later. All I can say now is that it must be nice to be wanted and valued. Really nice. <laughs> so I'm feeling a oh. bit down this week. Oh. At this point, you're all meant to say, oh, oh no, that's terrible. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Well, What's
3: obviously, that, I'm
2: not as down as Welsh football fans. Sorry, Will, but that's Gareth <laughs> bloke rubbish. But to explain, I have to go back to Agriscot, which is where I'm bringing you my report from today, again, and allow me to quote this social media post. The experts at Agriscot were telling us to budget for prices at 42 to 43p during the flush, said one post with another poster named Fergie Man, following that up with this quip. Only one so-called expert, open bracket, glorified journalist, close bracket, (laughs) and he was a miserable sod, never once smiled. (laughs) That's nice. What the heck did he want me to do? tell everyone their milk price is tanking and then do a Highland fling around the room. Anyway, I'm trying not to take any notice of Mr Fergiman's slur. I mean, he names himself after Prince Andrew's wife, for goodness sake. And so, to my report. Well, there's some good and bad news on the milk price front. Several companies are holding their price for January, including, surprisingly to me anyway, Muller. Plus, more predictably, perhaps Barber's, Saputo, Glamboa and Milk. So well done, Muller. But Freshways is down three pence for January to 47p on a standard litre. And South Carnarvon is down 1.5p to 48.5p on a manufacturing one. We shouldn't be surprised about Freshways, to be honest. It has been warming up its farmers about what would happen if its rivals didn't close the 2p gap it had. But they were never going to do that, in my opinion. But it's line that, quote, it will try to hold at 47p for all of quarter one is an interesting one. They aren't sure whether they'll be able to do it, and I'm definitely sure they won't unless commodities stabilise. But they're not doing that at the moment and are continuing to fall. Last week, butter was selling for between 5,600 euros and 5,700. This week, I've seen trades as low as 5,400, and that converts to 4,700 sterling. Uh, skin powder is stabilish at 2,750 euros, or 2,400 pounds here, so... These prices are generating a milk price of around 33 to 34p, I'm afraid. Uh, Cream here is between 215 and 220, so no major change on last week. Although I have heard trades are going for £2 over Christmas. Uh, Nobody really wants it because they don't want to build stocks. Uh, Now, if this price holds, the good news will be that December's cream price will be the second highest ever. The bad news, when expressed as a percentage of the milk price, it'll be the second lowest. Well, in the futures, well, I'm afraid butter's run for cover again this week with some very hefty falls of around €200 Euros for every contract through to May. So their average is €5,500. Skims down again and together they're about 35p equivalent farm gate price on cheese curd is put at below 5,000 euros for the first time since January. Edam, Gowder, and Mott's have been quoted out below 4,000 euros for quarter one. So, rubbish prices all around there, I'm afraid. And spot milk, I hear, is now in the low 40s as opposed to the mid to high range. So what do these prices actually mean? Are you going to be getting the sorts of prices I talk about here? Well, some of you might, but your, quote, miserable sod of a glorified journalist has come up with four reasons why most of you will or should get better prices, and they are these liquid price the retail liquid price is high relative to previous years and that makes liquid processors less reliant on cream for their income uh, cheese prices should remain robust because not a lot of cheddar has been traded on the spot market i talk about and most are sold on long term better contracts uh, farm costs are such that if prices drop to the levels that commodity prices convert to milk volumes will evaporate and I think we'll talk more about that later and I think farmers in Europe will quite simply riot if prices drop to these low projected levels Um, and that brings me on to Brexit because as far as your farmers are concerned Brexit is a bit like this if you're in a pub and a big fight breaks out. The best thing to do is hide behind the biggest blokes with the biggest fists and the biggest punch. And when it comes to Europe, those are German and French farmers. Us Brits now are as potent as Walter the Wimp from the Bino, who has just had his blue pills stolen
4: by the Bash Street kids Goodbye. <laughs> Do you, does our listener know who the Beano is?
3: No, they don't.
4: I mean, sorry, Chris. You, you, you're worse than me. You, you're living in the past, Farmer. Oh. Oh, well, if, if they don't know
2: what the Beano is, they should start reading it. It's much more intellectual than the stuff I write.
3: Well, well look it up on that newfangled thing, the internet, eh?
0: Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, oh,
1: yeah, as as the youngest one here, I used to I used to really right, be there like,
0: week in week out. All right, Becky. Sorry, I Used to get the annual every Christmas. And when he said that, I don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, thank you very much, too much Chris. Levity, too much levity. Call some order. Exactly. <laughs> let, let let's get this back on track. Um, Okay, last week we were talking. Speaking of young people, last week we were talking about the future (laughs) and pointing to all the positive ahead, positivity ahead with Mamie and Marcus thrusting young blades of kite. However, we've just had yet another quite subdued market report from Chris, and listeners might be wondering what to think. Edward Kite are running regular updates on cost of production figures. What are they saying about break even and how the situation really is for farmers at the moment?
5: Yeah, thanks, Will. We we run these figures, um, you know, regularly, and uh, costs have been rising as we know throughout the year. And and I guess we've we have seen that reach something of a of a, of a plateau now. We're 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 you know hovering around at a break even level around 45 pence um and you know that's being sustained by uh, yeah the rise in the fee costs which have risen but um now we're seeing obviously additional costs coming through on electricity um and, and even most recently now on on interest costs you know finance costs on on variable debts with with base rates rising um you know over the last couple of months so all those factors are are sustaining um you know, break-even costs that are at around that level. You know, even in the last few weeks, we ha- might have seen a little bit of weakening on 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 feed costs. Maybe your 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 responses last week, Chris, have helped a little bit, um, but uh, the the feed costs may be easing a bit. But uh, you know, other costs, other overhead costs. Um, you've speak, spoken on this podcast about labor, etc. Those those costs are, are sustaining at a high level, um, and you know, we're not really anticipating a major fall-off in costs. Um, you know, anytime soon, unless we were to see a, see a major realignment on on feed and fertilizer. Okay. Oh, wow.
0: And John, uh, everyone knows that you are always positive, um, and I'm sure you are now. Why aren't you so positive oh, about the dairy at the moment? Yeah, after listening to Chris, oh, God. <laughs> <It was> ch- <laughs> even Chris
3: was a little that, bit more. I'm
4: looking for a magri Scott. I mean, God. <laughs> No, it, it, I think I think actually it, we, we've got two issues here. What, what One is that we do actually remain positive about fundamentals. Because if you look medium-long term, all the stuff we've talked about, all the research we've done shows that the demand for dairy will actually come back and actually the market is still fairly tight on the supply side. We're talking about fundamentals here. And so commodities would probably pick up at some stage. Now, the point is what Chris is pointing to, is, is actually the fact that the futures and the, and the real traded market, he was talking about real trades there, are actually taking a very dim view of where they think milk prices should be. And he, he might want to comment. I, I think that from our point of view, we think that the trade are probably thinking, oh, well, you can get milk prices back into the low 30s. That's normal, isn't it? And Ed's just said, no, <laughs> cost of production is currently 45. So there's a mismatch between what some people in this industry think milk can be produced at and what others think milk can be produced at. So that that will have a reality check at some stage. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the fundamentals I, I would pick up on. And then we'll come back, I think, to some of the other ideas we've got coming forward. So I can't see how you can take milk prices, as Chris said earlier, down to those low levels without major, seeing a major crash in production in the second half of next year.
1: I mean, that, that's looking ahead. Can we, um, can we just get some context first and look back, uh, John? You're the history man. Um, let's let's look behind the, uh, I suppose, the history behind the break-even milk price, where it came from, and why it was needed at the time.
4: Right. Thank you. And this is. A really good.
3: Well, oh, get your slippers on, folks. Get, yeah. Get yeah. settled <laughs> I can oh, feel God. it coming
0: oh, on. Oh, I hope there's <laughs> some factoids.
3: Oh, <laughs> there's going to be some factoids yeah,
0: here. Yeah. Right.
4: Get the bell right. ready. Anyway, yes, I'll tell you a story then, Becky, if you're ready to listen before bedtime. Right, okay, well, <laughs> it goes like this. <laughs> and, and, and there is a story, there is a, a message here. You, you, we will get, so don't worry. And, and actually... <coughs> Back in back in ninety three nineteen ninety three, me and a young gentleman called Mark Roach, who now heads up the Groven estate, actually went to the US, and we went to the US on the basis that we needed to understand how they priced milk in the US, and uh, and how they costed it, and uh, we came back uh, as as long the time ago as that thirty years ago, and we said, look, we're going into a world where we're going to have global trade. We were going to deregulate, you know, globalization of dairy trade and all the agricultural commodities. If we can't be globally competitive, then we won't actually have an industry in the UK. So how do we price our milk? And the US and us that actually you have to price your product in a unit cost. So you have to say, well, it costs uh, X pence a litre, whatever, to produce. And you have to rank yourselves and look at where New Zealand is or where the US or where your competitors are. So when we came back from that session, then a lot of people in ADAS, as it was then, all the, all the old putty-duddies, sorry, then they all say, oh, no, no, you can't have stuff like this. No, no, this will never work. No, talking about cost of production and talking about what it costs to produce a litre of milk. No, no, we, we do gross margins. We do profits. We do X or what. Anyway, it, it, who was right? In the end, then actually cost of production took off, and that's where we've got to. So it served us in terms of changing the industry. And we've been through tough times, You know, when we had deregulation, removal of quotas, all the rest of it, we actually had some very, very tough times. And the cost of producing a litre of milk was, was preeminent. Now, we have talked actually uh, for some time about all the compliance costs coming down the line and actually why we would be positive about dairy prices, medium, long term. And actually what we used to do, and Edward can explain better than I can, is that we used to talk all about those costs in terms of break-even milk price. So a break-even milk price is what we've talked about now for 20 years. Well, I'm afraid the world is not going to be the same going forward because we think we've got to talk more about food security. We think we've got to talk more about actually what it costs to produce food to a standard. And so, therefore, we have to rephrase it and we have to say what is a secure milk price going forward, not is what is a break-even cost, because there has to be elements in there for further reinvestment. And we has to also be dynamic. It has to reflect what's currently happening in the marketplace, what, not what historic uh, things have happened. Does that sort of, is that the history lesson you were looking for, Becky? I'm sorry, you've gone to sleep.
3: Oh. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. What, what? I think it's very well put. It's simple, yeah, in I part enjoyed of context, it. Context, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Just, just
5: to give uh, you, the second, just to give you the second chapter, I'll say that uh, <laughs> uh, over the last, over the last sort of ten years or so, we we you know we've had costs have gone up and uh, up and down. You know, over, up until the last twelve months, you know, we've we've not seen any um, overall inflation in, in in costs. We were averaging sort of twenty-seven to thirty p um, as an average through that. Through that time. But one of the key issues that I'm always sort of uh, referred to is about productivity, because unit cost is based on a unit cost of production. So if you can if you've got inflation of 2 or 3%, but you can increase your production every year by 2 or 3%, you wash out those in that inflation of costs. And, and at some points in the last decade, back in 14, 15, I think we saw we saw productivity gain in the UK of more like 7% to 10% that has a massive effect on you know, diluting um, overhead costs. In the last 12 months, obviously we've, we've um, seen you know, a depression of, of, of volumes, maybe not so much in the last month or so, but um, depression of volumes and looking forward, and this is where it links into the secure milk price element, is that we've got, now we've got environmental constraints, um, NVZ in Wales and other and, and, and other sort of uh, rules for water, etc., which are putting constrictions on on land based areas and, and things, and then most critically labour supply, which is which is definitely putting um, constraints around uh, you know growth in production, growth in productivity, where we would have um, uh, potentially seen people adding another hundred cows to combat you know cost increases, etc. But that that now has to be much more um, contained within an overall policy of the farm, you know, to meet the standards as well.
4: Yeah, and I think uh, some people would, the listener here might be thinking, well, okay, so your cost of production is 45 pence, that's in the UK, well, it's probably lower elsewhere. Well, it isn't, actually, and that's the point, isn't it? And that's why we remain positive. The UK is actually competitive in world terms of producing milk at 45p. And in Europe, they're probably really needing probably more like four or five pence on top of that. So, so when, you, when you start to look in terms of actually what we're talking about in terms of having a secure milk price in the UK, then we have to also point out to the retailers and the supply chain that if you crash the market with those forecast prices in the, into the low 30s, All you'll end up with is what you've got in the egg industry. And the egg industry, you can see, has actually got shortfalls and it hasn't it's got product not on shelves. And actually that's a killer for a retailer. The retailers do want to have product on their shelves. Dairy has delivered that. So therefore, the relevant cost of production is it does matter. And actually having a secure price, and I'll let Ed explain what we've done, because we've done some work to look at this. There is additional costs on top of that break-even that need to be reflected in what we term a secure milk price going forward, eh?
5: Yeah, well, I think that just to explain, it, you know, when we talk about break-even, we mean um, the total cost of production, less less other other income. So you get uh, including subsidies. So you're talking about the absolute sort of um, cash break-even of the of the business. Um, and we th- it, 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 there's no um, imputed values um, in that apart from family labor, but you're, what you get from that is that that gives you the sort of the really the core break even um, of uh, of a business and of an of a sector. And I think um, we've seen that you know average at a brighter break even level over the last over the last ten years. Going forward, we've got these increased um, requirements for investment, and we've been doing studies of. Um, our database, looking at the uh, the costs of the potential costs of, of adding that compliance in order to meet the regulations uh, which are there, and coming forward from the Clean Air Act with additional uh, uh, silage silage capacity um, and bringing all that up to uh, to Sappho regs. We've got uh, additional slurry um, storage uh, capacity in order to bring it up to, um, well, even to a minimum of four months, but actually, you know, we're uh, you know, being uh, moved towards six months as the as the standard um, now, um, with grant schemes just starting to come to come through, um, and then if you look at actually complying with NBZ regulations and, and nitrogen requirements across the uh, across the country um, as well, then you start to build up quite a, a you know cost base, and the uh, you know as an average, there's there's a there's a huge requirement across the the country. Um, you know for these compliance costs to be, to be built in when you add them all together we get to a, an additional cost around 2.1 p a litre yeah and that's for the next 10 years mm-hmm. so so when you
4: talk about what is a secure cost of production it's not your 45p it's more like 47 to 48 so where where Chris was talking about before then we've got to communicate that along the supply chain but if you want UK milk Now, okay. we're talking about commodities in Chris's world, but actually in the UK retail market, then those are more realistic prices that need to be paid if you want to get that security of supply on your shelves. So that's what we're talking about today. and I think that's really important to try and get that message over into the supply chains that we're working with.
3: I think that's an important differentiation, John, isn't it? Because we're not talking about securing your milk price. We're no. talking about securing supply of milk. Exactly. You know, the, the retailers have been stung with the um yeah. with the egg. You know, ultimately, retailer priorities and um national priorities. You know, you and I were with a retailer last week, and you know, yeah. their priority is to to make sure that there's product on the shelf, not just obviously yes. so that they can sell it, but for, from a you know they're being pressured nationally on food security now. Yeah,
4: yeah. So, I
3: so. So we're talking about a a milk price that secures milk supply long term. And, and, you know, the, the risk of big swings in prices risks in big swings in milk flows.
1: Yeah. On the, on that point with the retailers though, that actually links quite nicely back to the days when we were talking about reset. And project reset which was about providing evidence to the supply chain as to why a reset of the milk price was needed in essence so john over to you in terms of the current context and what we're talking about now what would your message be to the to the wider supply chain regarding a secure milk price
4: well the wider supply chain needs to recognize that it is i think becky's put it brilliantly sorry becky uh, but uh, you you did do it. it It the worst thing you can do for a retailer is shorten because actually from a retailer point of view they should have been communicated to they were being told a year ago that actually they wouldn't be short of eggs they were being told that but we were saying that we would be short of milk uh, just over a year ago and that with our project reset we actually had the information and that, that has helped now we can't deny farmers are now creating a problem for themselves partly by producing more milk particularly in parts of Europe. And the, and the milk price is probably going to drop. So that's going to happen. And that's going to have its impact. And it will, it will probably impact on milk supply. But actually, in terms of what the retailers are asking for now, in terms of a secure supply, so they can actually have a, a guarantee their security, and they won't be shorted on the market on, on milk, then that's what they need to recognise. And that's what we're talking about here with the secure milk price. Does that make does that make sense?
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. absolutely so john you you uh said earlier that you are positive um for the future of dairy at the moment does everyone else agree edward edward are you positive uh as 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 john is yeah yes i am very positive i I think i think that there's a um
5: as with the previous reports we can see that the the long-term future of of the um industry looks extremely bright when we look at the uh the the wider context but as as chris has intimated that we have got challenges coming up in you know, probably going into the new year. Um, you know, we're talking about this now because we can, we're, we're looking ahead as to, to some of those issues that can arise. And we know that, yeah, if with cost base as they are, if, if prices were to go anywhere near to the to the lower end that Chris has talked about, that, you know, we'll, we'll see a, a you know, a major, um, uh, impact on on milk production, so you know it's important that we that we and hopefully the industry is in a better place now to talk about these these things and try and um, we, you know better returns in the liquid sector etc. That we can actually get some um, you know some longer term thinking and maintain the longer term thinking that we've been that we've been talking about and you have on this podcast. Um, you know, to uh, to to be able to go through that period of time. You know, you know, obviously the markets are a weak at the moment. But if we can maintain some longer term thinking and, and uh, to you know to see through that um, and taking into account these elements around the, the secure milk price, that we can see that UK supply, GB supply can be um, can be sustained. That there is there is investment that is going to be required because if we're not compliant in the future, then there's there's no license to produce. We, there's there's what you know with the figures i was talking about earlier but there's lots of there's other elements that we're not factoring into that yet around you know labor um provision and uh facilities for 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 them and and that is going to be absolutely crucial to maintaining an efficient um and and vibrant industry um, for the future so yes i'm positive and I, and I can see that the uk is is extremely well placed to um to, to capitalize in the future but we we've just got to keep going through the next the short medium and long term you know the short term phase we need to not lose focus on on some of the issues which have been highlighted in the last um you know 12 months
0: yeah and what about you chris have you got any positivity for Dairy dairyman well, uh, Fer, fergie man was it fergie man and his friends
3: yeah well i not i'm not qualified
2: am i being a miserable sod am I? <laughs> I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to ruin that newfound reputation <laughs> but of course i'm of course i'm positive you only have to look at the range of products that you produce from milk and how consumers react and and cherish those products you know 99 percent of consumers have dairy in their shopping basket how can you not be positive Mm. about that yeah of course there'll be bumps in the road for me to you know highlight and moan about (laughs) and become miserable over and long may that continue but generally with the way that dairy is regarded by consumers is every reason to be
1: positive we're
3: so lucky to be in a sector that produces such sustainable sources of protein aren't we
1: yeah. yeah, absolutely.
4: You, <laughs> you, set. you you set us up, Becky. I'm a pro at
3: this now, John. It's only taken 132 episodes. <laughs>
0: All right then. Okay, um, uh, John. Yes, you have some very exciting news about the future yeah. for the kite business. What is this news? Do you tell us.
4: Yeah.
0: Well, our youngster here in the team,
4: Becky. Yeah, uh, she got it. Um, we 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 were approached uh, by a business called AB. AB Agri and owned by AB, ABF. And uh, you, you can go and look that up on the website if you want for our listener. But actually, it's uh, it's a significant business uh, and actually, you know, partially owned. It's got a, a, a charitable trust element to it as well as being a commercial uh, publicly quoted business. And actually, what they have got is a strategy whereby they want to actually uh, be in the zone of producing or helping the world produce more sustainable protein in dairy form and uh, that's their business, that's what they wanted to create and they wanted to purchase our business as a basis to actually create that global dairy business and actually we, we, we had a long discussion where our values are probably aligned in terms of how we want to see the world and we want to see dairy in the world. And so we took the opportunity, and they purchased us this week. We completed yesterday, and it's now a new, new, new chapter. It's very, very exciting, actually, in terms of what we can now move on to do within the new family that we actually operated. So, uh, yeah, we're we we're, we're we're pretty excited, actually. Sorry, <laughs> does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. The does.
3: excitement was killing me, John, as you were leading up to that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Do we, do we have to be professional on this podcast now, then, I
3: we, we <laughs> no, that was a key perhaps. point. Key point in the negotiations I, is, you know, no, no censorship on the podcast.
4: <laughs> well, it, yeah, do, we, we, won't tell, we won't tell him, uh, Becky, that they did say it's conditional on you've got to get rid of that miserable git of it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: do, oh, that's going to make my awkward conversation this afternoon even more awkward. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> In the small print. <laughs> I mean, well, congratulations, to say, congratulations uh, to John, and the team. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. it sounds Absolutely. as if
2: it's a real uh, positive for the future, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. yeah. 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 Good things come of it. I'm sure they will.
4: Absolutely.
1: No, for sure. I mean, John, what what does it mean for, for the kite business and the team? I mean, will clients actually see a change?
4: No. No, I mean, it, it, you know, we were communicating with clients yesterday, yesterday and I'll let Ed come in on this as well. I mean, because obviously it's business as usual with the existing clients and know, most clients were really <laughs> well done, great. You know, are we going to still see you? Oh, yeah. OK. All right. OK. Yeah. You, yeah, Don't worry. The business is carrying on as per normal. What it does mean is that we've got the potential to actually put more investment into our business And we can grow faster and then we can also link in with other areas of business as well so that's why you know i just say to the industry you know it's a good move business as usual but watch this space is would be my tip and ed do you want to comment yeah yeah, absolutely
5: you know definitely business business as usual everybody's out there today um you know carrying on the day job you know so that that doesn't change um you know we're a standalone business um and you know, maintain that independence. So I think that's you know that's a key thing for you know for us. Um, you know, we're a professional consultancy business. Get that word "professional" back in there. So you know, I think that you know, Not on
3: this podcast, you are
5: that that doesn't change. So so you know, the the you know the our service and offer to our clients you know is is you know is enhanced, not diminished. Yeah,
3: I think there is probably um. You know, people will need a bit of time to to go seek out and look at uh, AB agri business to to sort of see what it stands for. They'll already be dealing with some companies, and I, actually, I think it's you know quite important for clients. You know, th- this is a well-established model within the AB agri business where you know companies rep- remain independent; they trade. Uh, independently of other businesses in the group, you know, um, I don't think advance is going to suddenly start flogging Primark jumpers, uh, as a, as a sideline and, and, you know, mm-hmm. nor will people to ex- expect to see changes in how we deliver. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, and when you look at, you know, one thing obviously I, I did when, when, uh, heard the news and you go, you go, you know, you go do your research in the background, I was really, Excited and, um, pr- probably a bit relieved, if I'm being totally honest. When you look at AB values and their uh, vision and their ambition, and then I think about what being part of the Kite family means to me, actually, there's incredible mm-hmm. alignment on those two things. And so you, 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 you know, I don't see that we're going to be butting heads. I think this is, you know, when, when you start from the same, place values and vision wise that's that's huge strength i think on in both parts yeah
4: thanks becky and the and ed's comment there it, it's a standalone business but it retains its independence within that uh, ab business and that's that's a really really important uh, point to make that i know i know people want to ensure that that remains the case and it will
0: yeah is it, has this um, been just interested to know, John? Has this been quite an emotional thing for you? Have, have, do mm-hmm. you feel sort of quite emotionally drained um, this week? Well, both me and Ed did say last week.
4: Uh, we we actually did say to each other. We said, "Oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous." Are you, yeah, Ed? I'm sure. Yeah, so am I. Actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. sort of sleepless yeah, it's a big night. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, God, you know, and, yeah. It's a bit like, well, what's it going to be? And what happened is that. Um, Actually, as soon as you got through the barrier and into the business yesterday, and with the staff and especially the t- team like Becky and all mm. everybody, the enthusiasm in the business yes. is infectious. It's Super. absolutely amazing, and mm. everybody's up for things and positive, and therefore it's just like having a reboot. Is this? It's really, really good. Actually, I'm sorry, it, and, I, and 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 the future. I mean it. Yeah, you know, just look out. You know, uh, it's. I mean just watch out.
5: Uh, no, I, I no I and that's why I think I think the, yeah. the fr- framed you know calling it a new chapter yeah. you know, I think is it is a, it fits yeah. really well because it's not a, it's not it's you know it's not saying that the old chapter was bad it's just saying mm. that the, 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 this is a new chapter and um and we've got you know opportunities to to mm. to grow and progress.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Very very exciting times ahead for Kite. That's all we have time for today, but a big thank you to our guests, John Allen, Edward Lott, Chris Walkland and podcast producer Becky Leach.
1: Yes, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.
3: We like most extended families. Won't it? Well, it um, will, you know, we'll get together a couple of times a year, realise that we actually have quite a lot in common, have a laugh and then um enjoy each other's company and then leave saying, oh, we must do this more often. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.